today on Ag News Daily. It all kind of goes together, right? It's, it's difficult to to start one without the other. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. We kind of have three separate things going at once, but they're all intertwined. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I am not too bad, Mike. How about you? Can't complain a bit. And if I did, nobody'd care. So that's the way life goes. But Ashton, what's new with you? Not a whole lot is new with me. Just trying to get some news ready to share with you guys. And just one little bit of news. I mentioned yesterday that I thought we were going to get some rain down here. And sadly, that forecast has changed and we will not have any chance of rain tomorrow. So I'm a little bit upset this morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys could really use a drink down there. We sure could. I'm a little bit sad for our farmers, but hopefully their crop is still going to uh, do some good. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yes, we shall see whether it's still a big factor moving the markets, which we'll talk about here when we get down to the market segment before our interview today. But Delaney, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, one thing, of course, that can move the markets at any given time are the crop progress ratings for corn and soybeans. We saw them come in yesterday afternoon. U.S. corn was rated 68% good to excellence. Soybeans, 67% good to excellent. Um, But I think it was better than what the trade was expecting to see. Um, yes. Yeah. A little surprise. Definitely. Trade was expecting to see corn conditions drop a percent. Instead, they were flat and bean conditions actually rose, which I Mm -hmm. think uh, caught a lot of folks by surprise. Yes, I think that was the big one there. But, you know, overall, we are continuing to watch how weather will impact the crop. Uh, The other thing I wanted to add here, since we're talking a little bit more about market impacts, has been the oil market. Mike, I don't know how closely you've been watching this as of late, but it's been ever since it traded below zero, been making its way back up towards that $40, $45, $50 mark. Not yet at $45, but uh, looks like it might have the chance to get there. However, we saw some news come out yesterday. Bloomberg reported that China is now pouring some oil back onto the international markets and traders are jumping on the opportunity to continue to source cheap crude oil. Uh, China, as we've talked about on the podcast just yesterday, you know, has lots of reserves with all sorts of commodities, oil included, and just are at swelling capacity and have now had to release some barrels of oil back onto the international market. Not really 100% sure how much they've released because uh, they're saying one thing and trade is saying another. So that's another story we'll continue to watch, see how that impacts the crude oil market. But you know, the, the positive light there is if crude oil continues to make an upward trend, if we're seeing people get back out on the road, that could be very supportive for ethanol as well. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're all watching. There was a pretty good move today to the upside in the oil markets as investors are getting excited about the potential of a coronavirus vaccine. But uh, Delaney, I want to circle back to something you mentioned there because it ties right in with this next story. China moving things out of stockpile. They announced that on July 23rd, which I believe is Thursday. Today's the 21st? Yes. 
Perfect. Um, China is going to auction 10,000 tons, metric tons, of frozen pork from their reserves. Uh, this will be on top of the 420,000 metric tons of pork frozen frozen pork reserves that China has sold over the past year. And this is all because their pork prices continue to explode higher. So yeah, China is definitely looking to mitigate prices where it can. And uh, selling pork certainly seems like a way in which they are going to try to do that. It certainly does. It certainly does, Mike, especially uh, with them being able to rebuild their hog herd. Right, right. That's the thing. If we can get this uh, African swine fever under control, that uh, would allow them to regrow their herds very quickly. In the meantime, I think they're going to have to continue buying American pork if they don't want their consumers to rebel from high pork prices. But uh, we'll keep an eye on it. It's an ongoing story and one of those things that just keeps developing. But Ashton, what headlines are you watching today? Well, I am looking at the new pilot program that Bayer has launched in the United States and Brazil today that will pay farmers for capturing carbon in cropland soils, making it the latest agricultural company to seek to capitalize on environmental initiatives. And the company seeks to enroll about 1,200 row crop farmers in its Bayer Carbon Initiative in the first season with a goal to scale up in upcoming seasons and ultimately expand to other countries, uh, company executives said earlier today. And the program is the latest in a string of recent environmentally focused initiatives by agriculture companies, which have been criticized for using harmful chemicals and not doing enough to stop deforestation in Brazil. And Bayer is working with other partners, including Brazil's Prapa, the government's crop research agency, to build a market for trading the carbon credits created. And Bayer's program requires that farmers enroll in its climate field view digital farming platform where growers would log data about their eco-friendly farming practices, such as no-till farming or planting cover crops. And those claims could then be verified by satellite imagery. Bayer plans on compensating growers for sequestering carbon and pay them in cash or credits to buy products on its Bayer Plus Rewards platform. So I'm not entirely sure what they'll do with this carbon. Do you guys have any ideas? So my understanding, and I'm not terribly familiar with the Bayer program, but usually the way these companies try to monetize it is they then sell carbon credits to other companies. Like if you're an oil Mm -hmm. company and you want to be carbon zero, you can go to Bayer and you can say, hey, how many tons of carbon are your people sequestering? And we want to buy half of those credits to offset our production of carbon. So then the idea is globally, we're at a net zero of carbon emissions because farmers are sequestering, oil companies are, you know, anybody is spewing them into the ocean. And the idea is that can create a market. And so one of these is probably going to take off and it'll be interesting to see which program ends up kind of controlling the market. Yeah, I've heard really good things about um, Indigo Ag's program. That's probably the one I hear most prevalently. But I mean, there's definitely got to be some sort of interest in it if we continue to see big name companies like this getting involved in that space. Absolutely. And yet to Indigo's, you know, we at Zaner have uh, worked with Indigo on our cash grains portion. And so we've interacted with them on the carbon credit side of things. So we don't have anything to do with it. Um, it's, I think, the the first of its kind, and I believe it's the only one to have actually written checks to farmers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably mm-hmm. a big part of why they're driving so much press. But while we're talking about Bayer, I've got a headline here that might spell more trouble for Bayer going forward. Um, there is now a class, class action lawsuit against Bayer for 
investors in bear stock. Basically, the idea is if you have lost more than $100,000 in bear stock, you can join this class action. The lawyers are claiming that uh, the company made false and misleading statements to the market before they bought Monsanto. They're saying Bayer failed to disclose that the acquisition of Monsanto would cause the company to suffer exposure from massive judgments. They're talking about the Roundup lawsuits here Mm -hmm. and uh, reputational damage if that Roundup lawsuit were successful. Uh, They allege that uh, Bayer's comments were, were positive about the prospect of the Monsanto acquisition and that it was going to create all these benefits. And, you know, looking at stock price, Bayer has certainly suffered. So this lawsuit has just been launched. It has not yet been certified, however. Um, So until it gets certified, it's not really a lawsuit yet uh, because you're not truly represented by an attorney. It's a very weird thing. But this is waiting in the wings. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to to keep an eye on more legal headaches for Bayer would be my guess. But, uh, you know, just a reminder, anyone can sue anyone else for anything. The question is, will it move forward? So I'll keep an eye on this lawsuit, track it and see if it ever does actually get certified. Well, actually, I have another piece of Bayer related news today. We saw, of course, Bayer appealed the court case in California that glyphosate, a.k.a. Roundup Ready, does not cause cancer with the case involving the school groundskeeper, Dwayne Johnson. Who Not was, you know, right, allegedly exposed to uh, to the glyphosate-based product. Well, we saw a jury uphold that verdict against Bayer and continued to award the $289 million to Johnson um, with about $250 million of that in the form of punitive damages. They said that they affirmed and upheld the court's decision because Bayer a.k.a. Monsanto, uh, failed to properly warn consumers of the risk of using Roundup and that Monsanto was liable under Johnson's design defect claim. So from here, I am not an attorney, but I believe they could appeal again, maybe at a higher level court, because this was just a California Supreme Court. So I believe the, the final step would then be for it to go to the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or would it be an appellate court first and then Supreme Court? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I yeah, I have no idea. I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> I, I don't know what the next step would be, but it, that's certainly a black eye for Bayer. I know they were certainly right. counted on that. Uh, the punitive damage portion, at least to be shrunk back a little bit. Yeah, nope, it uh, definitely was not. All right, well, I am out of news. Ashton, do you have any other headlines we need to talk about today? I don't. It was a pretty slow news day on my end. Perfect. Well, folks, keep an eye on the sky. Weather is going to be a driving factor. We're seeing weakness in corn today, pressured by two factors. The first is that, uh, you know, change in crop or lack of change in crop conditions ratings that Delaney mentioned earlier, as well as rainfall spreading across the Corn Belt. Forecasts are calling for about an inch of rain uh, in several areas that have needed it. That is putting the bulls on the run in corn. Beans also lower on the day. Wheat, however, climbing. In the corn market, September down five and a half cents at 322 and three quarters. December down a nickel. Closed the day at 330 and three quarters. In soybeans, the August was down six and a half cents at 896 and a half, while November declined seven cents to close at 893 even. In wheat, Chicago contract September up five and three quarters at 527 and three quarters. December up a nickel. Closed the day at five 
133 even. Looking over at livestock, we did see some pressure in live cattle today. The August contract down 42.5 cents at 101.85. October down 25 cents, closed at 106.12.5. In feeder cattle, the August was off 27.5 cents at 141.32.50. September down just 2.5 cents today to close at 142.97.5. In lean hogs, do have some green on the screen. The August contract up a dollar 0750 at 51.47.5. October up to 82.5 cents to finish at 50.02.5. Looking quick at the dairy market, class three milk today, July contract unchanged at 24.32, while the August was up 12 cents to close at 23.27. Without further ado, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday. We're talking about advances in technology in the world of cattle. Let's kick it off. Today on the podcast, we have Matt Harrington, who is the owner of Harrington Cattle and Southwest Bull Test and Heifer Development Center in Safford, Arizona. Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Ashton. Well, Matt, I guess to uh, to kick things off, I want to talk about the Southwest Bull Test and Heifer Development from a 10,000-foot perspective. When you talk about testing bulls and developing heifers, what are you guys doing down there? Yeah, basically we are providing an opportunity for seed stock producers that maybe aren't big enough to have their own testing facility. We're providing an option for them to bring bring bulls and heifers to us and we'll test them. So it's most data collection, right? So we're looking at collecting as much information as we can while they're there. In addition to we're feeding them, we're getting them ready for either the bull sales or getting them ready to be, if their heifers were getting them ready to be bred and then sold or, or returned back to their, to their herds. And so that's, that's really what it is. It's, it's data collection, right? It's, it's collecting as much information as we can so that these producers can make decisions for their herds. And then so that buyers can also make decisions with that information. You know, it's fascinating to watch the rate at which the cattle industry has truly embraced data as a way to manage their herds. When you say you're testing these bulls, what are you testing for? What type of tests are you performing down there? Yeah, so the main one is a feed test, right? So we're we're doing a gain test, but also a feed intake test as well. So we have a system called SmartFeed that's manufactured by Sealock incorporated and it weighs how much the cattle eat for the entire time that they're on that system and then we know how much they gain because we weigh them periodically uh, weigh each animal individually periodically and so that gives us an idea of efficiency right because we know how much they're eating how much their intake is and we know how much they're gaining uh, there's a lot of other things we look at with that, right? There's formulas for residual feed intake. Uh, there's feed to gain ratios and et cetera. So we look at, we try to look at all of them. Like I said, we collect as much information as we can so that we can use all of it um, in our decision-making. So I read in the article in Western Ag Life magazine that featured you guys about the radio frequency identification. And I thought that that was very interesting because you are having cattle come in and out of the center. And so can you tell me a little bit more about how you use that RFI? Yeah, so at the moment, as far as the testing center goes, the only thing we use the RFI for is 
the feed system, the smart feed system that weighs intake. So there's five units in the pen and any animal can put their head in and eat out of any unit. And the computer system basically checks in that animal with the RFID tag and notes the weight when the animal puts his head in and then notes the weight when the animal takes its head out. And then that difference in weight that was just consumed by the animal is attributed to that ID tag. And so at the moment, that's the only thing we really use the RFID tags for is for that system. Uh, but it makes it incredibly nice so that we don't have to have animals eating out of only one bunk. They can eat out of any of them and the system will keep track through their RFID tag. That's pretty amazing to have that kind of technology, Matt. How long have you guys been using it? So we put it in uh, in 2019. So we finished our first season with it. Um, so it's pretty new for us. The technology itself has been around for quite a while. And really, um, it's it's not that new of a technology, but it's kind of new in our part of the world. And so that's kind of why it's a little bit special, I guess, where we're at is that there just hasn't been that much of it here, even though it's not very new, but it's new to us. So, Matt, I guess when you're looking at the heifer development side of things, when I hear heifer development, I think of dairies and dairy production. Are you focused on dairies? Is this heifer development for any type of cow camp operation? What kind of a, what kind of work you guys do? Yeah, so we don't focus on dairies just because it, where we are located, we're not really close to very many dairies. So we focus on the beef side of things. Um, this year we had heifers in the heifer development test, if you want to call it, uh, where we put them on a feed efficiency test and collected all that data. We artificially inseminated them when they were done. But we look forward to developing heifers on an even larger scale, not necessarily with feed efficiency testing, but just as a place where, where producers can bring their heifers to us. We'll get them on a good plate of nutrition, gaining weight, um, get them synchronized, get them artificially inseminated, and then get them back to the ranches. That does a couple things. It frees up space for the rancher. If their heifers are gone from the ranch, then they can be utilizing their feed at the ranch for cows. Um, and then it also intensively manages the heifers and helps uh, get the best breed up that we can possible. So right now it's pretty small scale as far as the actual testing part with the feed efficiency testing, just because we're limited on our capacity. But we look forward to expanding and, and doing other types of pepper development for people on a larger scale. So now uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, the Southwest uh, Bull Test and Heifer Development Program is is really just a part of what you guys put together on their company. Can you talk to us a little bit about what else you guys have uh, worked on? Yeah, so the Bull Test was kind of the first step we wanted to, to make because genetics are such a big part of the foundation for beef production, right? And so we kind of followed it up with a marketing program. And so we have a grow yard about 20 miles, 25 miles from the bull test where we are able to background, grow, finish, and finish cattle for, for our customers, basically. And so we felt like the bull test was a good way to start to give people in our area access to, or greater access to bulls that have been feed tested and that have been um, ultrasound tested for uh, carcass traits and then have a, a program where we can market the calves out of those bulls. It kind of goes together, right? It doesn't make sense for someone to 
spend extra money or extra effort to get a bull with certain traits if they don't really have a market for those traits in their calves. So we feel like those two kind of go together. So we're looking forward to expanding that as well and uh, taking a lot of calves in for backgrounding, weaning, or just for growing. Um, and then helping people, our customers basically improve their bottom line by having a better marketing outlet and, and being rewarded for those good genetics that they're getting out of the bull test. So Matt, I, I know that you have high hopes and it sounds like you are really trying to advance all this testing and really develop a, a good program down there. But I also want to talk to you about Cooper Star Beef, which is something that from my understanding that you have been trying to establish in order to get an overall better reputation for Arizona. So can you tell me a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so uh, again, Copper Star Beef is kind of the brand name for this marketing program. And so it's twofold, right? On the one hand, we feel like we can start to put together cattle from multiple ranchers, but with a similar protocol or a similar genetic foundation. And that way, some smaller producers that have a difficult time marketing calves on a large scale, maybe it'll give them access to uh, some better markets because they're grouping their cattle with other ranchers who are of similar genetics and have a similar um, health protocols and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we started with Copper Star is, to, is we laid out, here's here's a good health protocol for, for ranchers to follow. Here's access, access to some good bulls, some good genetics. Uh, we'll AI for you if you want to improve your herd that way. And, and let's get the genetics and the herd health kind of on the same page. And then we can start to market them together. So at the same time, simultaneously, we've started finishing out some of those cattle and then marketing them directly uh, locally. So we have a website, copperstarbeef.com, where consumers can order a whole a half or a quarter beef from, from our website. And then we take the finished cattle from our yard that are all local local cattle and then we have them processed here locally and then we have pickup locations throughout the state where consumers can pick them up so it's it all kind of goes together right it's, it's difficult to to start one without the other and so that's kind of where we're at right now we kind of have three separate things going at once but they're all intertwined they are all intertwined and that's the coolest thing combining technology with new advancements in raising livestock combining that with meeting consumer demand matt i gotta ask you take a step back look out to the future 10 years from now what is your dream what do you want to happen in the world of cattle particularly in arizona yeah so 10 years from now i would like to have the bull test expanded to where we're taking in hundreds of bulls instead of you know, 50 or 60 every year. I would like to see our yard full of cattle um, that are being finished that are then going to be processed here locally and stay in, stay in Arizona. Um, I would, I want to, I would like to see that brand Copper Star Beef, you know, everywhere in restaurants, um, obviously in people's freezers, and, and there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of problems to overcome between now and then, but that's, that's what I would love to see. And, and really the whole point of that is, 
it's a win-win for everyone, right? So ranchers can win because they can make more money on their calves and stay in business, which is extremely important. Even though a lot of times ranchers don't necessarily do what they do for the money, you got to make money to stay in business to be able to pass that operation on to the next generation. We, we win because our yard is full and, and, you know, we're having a successful business providing our services and, and marketing for people. And then the consumer wins because they're getting a, a high quality local product. So that's my kind of long-term vision for this whole deal. Well, Matt, this is certainly interesting stuff. I love to hear about technology and livestock operations. And uh, I'm sure that our listeners want to continue to follow your story. So where can they find you on social media? And uh, will you give us your website just one more time for our listeners? Yeah, so copperstarbeef.com is our website that really is targeted towards consumers being able to purchase beef products. Um, Harrington Cattle has a page on Facebook as well as the Southwest Bull Test and Heifer Development Center also has a Facebook page uh, that people can follow. That's kind of more geared towards the agricultural side, right? The producer side where we keep people updated, um, advertise for meetings and get togethers and some of the products and services that we offer to produce to cattle producers. Well, Matt, it has certainly been a joy talking to you today. I just want to thank you one last time for coming on the podcast. No, thank you guys for having me. It was good to, good to visit. And uh, thank you for you know, taking the time to hear what we're, we're doing. We're small and we're just getting started, but we got big dreams. A big thanks to Matt for taking the time to chat with us. It is very cool to see folks around the country utilizing new technology. Even if it's old technology, bringing it into a new area is going to help make the cattle industry as a whole more efficient. We're going to be more data-driven. And if you can measure it, you can change it. And that is one of the secrets of creating a strong herd. So very cool to see. Nice find, Ashton. Folks, stay with us on the Ag News Daily podcast. We're always coming up with stories. And you can check them out on our website at agnewsdaily.com. And of course, interact with us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 